but honestly, I, I, I think there's no place I'd rather be than where I was last Sunday. And, and some of you kind of know um, the story uh, a little bit, but um, I, I just, I, I want to share it because there's a lot of people here um, that were a part of that story. And, and I want you to know it um, as well and to kind of celebrate it with me, um, partially for selfish reasons, but otherwise uh, just for you guys as well. Because I'm really grateful to, to you as a church. Uh, and so many of you know I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. Um, and, and was a, a Jehovah's Witness until I was about the time I was 23 uh, when I came to, to faith in Christ. And, and when I did it, it was like um, kind of a, a major shift in my life. Because as I came to faith, one of the things that I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to do um, in, in submitting to Christ as Lord um, was to kind of write a letter to the witness congregation and, and kind of explaining, like, like, I disconnect myself from you. Like, like, you are not in the truth, and I want you to know that I'm choosing to leave. Um, and so I sent that letter, and, and part of what happens with that is they don't read the letter in the congregation, but essentially there'll be a formal announcement um, along the lines of saying, you know, Joshua has disassociated himself from the witnesses. Essentially what it means is I was then excommunicated uh, from the witnesses. And, and so childhood friends that I'd had, like, growing up, like, I'd be walking down a grocery aisle, and they'd be coming, and they would either pretend like I wasn't there um, or just turn down another aisle. I remember at one point, uh, I was working at Target in uh, the electronics department, and, and somebody that I had known, I was, her, her brother had been my best friend, and I like played over at his house two to three times a week, and, and she was there and with her husband, and I had known them, gone on trips with them, and, and we treated each other like complete strangers for the whole interaction um, over the camera. And, and one of the concerns that I had had was, with my parents, um, a lot of times parents will also participate kind of in that excommunication aspect. Uh, and so then they won't talk to their, their children anymore because the witnesses tell them that they, they shouldn't do that. And I have friends that I grew up with that also left the witnesses that, that have no relationship with their parents uh, for this reason. And so it's kind of a, a nervous thing for me to kind of do and, and wonder. And so when I sent the letter to the Jehovah's Witnesses, I also ended up sending the letter, uh, a letter to my parents, um, and this would have been around 2003, sending a letter to them and, and just kind of saying, like, you may not understand, but I feel like I've really found Jesus, that I truly know who he is. And because of that, I, I have no choice but to follow him and, and to kind of deny the witnesses and to move forward in this faith, submitting to what he has. And, and, and I want you to know what I know and, and all of that. And, and the response was kind of like, we're concerned for you. <laughs> we, we don't want you to be led off away from the truth. Uh, from what they understood the truth to be. Uh, but at the same time, they didn't really excommunicate me at all, which I was really grateful for. And, and so over the years, um, the just different opportunities uh, to kind of talk uh, and share my faith. Uh, whenever I felt like the Holy Spirit was kind of leading to do it. And so there, for instance, one situation had been, uh, my parents had come over to visit me and my wife, and they wanted to go over the will. 
and so we're kind of going over their will and talking about like the, the end of life decisions that they want to face and what's going to happen afterwards and all of these things. And so they, they sat down and they're like, they, they laid out what they were thinking about signing and they're like, well, what do you think? I'm like, that seems like a good, wise plan, but, but I'm more concerned about what happens after this. And, and they're like, well, what do you mean? And, and so we just took that opportunity and like, what happens after this? The, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe this, but it's not in Scripture. And, and just kind of taking that opportunity to, to share in moments like that and, and really not like cramming it down their throat or taking every opportunity to say that they were wrong, but just letting the Holy Spirit lead. And uh, this is turning into a longer story that I, that I necessarily wanted it to. Um, but in 2020, um, during the, the lockdown, uh, my parents had... Whenever they came, they kind of sat in the back and would listen to the messages. Uh, but in 2020, during lockdown, um, they started coming to the messages online uh, almost every week. Uh, and in addition to that, we had a class at that time called Identity to Destiny, uh, which we're looking at bringing back for another run here. Uh, but they decided to participate in that, which like blew my mind. Like they're participating in something that our church is doing. And I don't even know if they really like know who Jesus is. And they participated in that, and in that got some friendships with people within this room, Mike and Sue Wood, um, Donna, and, and other people that were part of that group. Dale was there too. And, and they kind of wrestled through like some of those things and, and developed those friendships and prayed with people in this church, and, and you guys kind of poured into my parents' life uh, I'm really thankful for that because then in 2020, um, I got a letter from them saying, we now understand what you mean when you say that you know Jesus. Uh, and it was a letter kind of like sharing like them coming to faith and them kind of understanding. And it had been 17 years um, since I had come um, to faith. It had been 17 years of kind of sharing this up until 2020 um, when they came back uh, or came to faith. And it was just one of the coolest moments uh, of my life. Well, um, come up to this last weekend, um, we had planned to go and visit. We had found out that after um, we had started reopening things at the end of 2020 and coming into 2021 and having more in-person stuff, um, we were telling them, you should find a local church. And so uh, they had started looking for local churches. They found one. They started attending it. Um, they actually became members of this church. And like all these things are kind of like blowing my mind a little bit. I'm really cool and excited about that. Um, and they started attending the church. And um, all of a sudden about, so then we come to the summer. We set this time, um, this last weekend, uh, for us to go and visit because we, we wanted to see their church. Like, where are they going? Like, let's go to church with them because they've, they've come here how many times? And so we set this back in spring uh, for us to go and visit this last week. Um, all of a sudden, though, about four weeks ago, I get a call from their church. Uh, and it's the pastor. And I'm like, okay, why is my parents' pastor calling me? <laughs> and he had found my number through Mercy Hill's website. And so, like... Okay, is he calling me like pastor to pastor here? Like, like what is this? And, and he tells me that my parents are considering getting baptized. Um, and that the baptism happens to be on the weekend that we're planning to visit. And we never realized that when we set this date. And, and so the pastor's talking to me and he's like, well, 
um, if they decide to get baptized, what do you think about baptizing them? And I'm like, that would be really cool. But I don't want my parents to know this. Because I, I don't want there to be any other motivation for baptism other than simply faithfulness to Jesus when he says, be baptized. And I'm going to step aside here for a little plug. We have a baptism coming up. And if you're here and you've not been baptized, and you consider Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you partake of communion, baptism is the other thing that he instituted as a, a physical symbol of our devotion to him. If you've not yet been baptized, please prayerfully consider it. He commands us to do it. It's, it's not a requirement for salvation, but it's something that he asks us to do out of obedience. So, so please pray about that. And, and that's what I wanted my parents to do, right? I, I didn't want them to know that there was an opportunity for me to baptize them and then for them to have this ulterior motive of like, well, we're thinking about getting baptized, but let's do it because Josh can do it. And so the pastor, he didn't tell my parents at all. And then we come up to about five days before we make our trip. And my parents call me. And, and they're like, hey, we're excited about you coming. I'm like, I'm excited about coming. And I'm sitting here wondering, like, are they going to get baptized? Are they not going to get baptized? And, and so they're just kind of like beating around the bush. And I know that something's up. And they're just talking like chit-chat. What time are you going to get here? And, oh, you should bring a swimsuit. And I'm like, why? <laughs> um, and, and so finally it comes out that they decided to get baptized um, this last weekend and um, that they wanted me to, to be able to go and baptize them. Yeah, it was really, really cool to be able to go and, and then hear my parents um, give their testimony before getting baptized. And, and as they gave their testimony... Um, they spoke a lot about Mercy Hill. And, and they spoke a lot about people here in this room. And, and the impact that you had on them and the way that you loved them and the way that you prayed for them and, and kind of came around them uh, through all of that. And so I just wanted to share this story to kind of say thank you for that. Um, it was just was a really cool moment. I, I, don't, I don't even know how many baptisms now. And, and usually as we do the baptisms and the pastor there did it the same way. Like as you're getting baptized, it's like, Dale, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jim, we now baptize you. And, and I was able to sit there and say, Dad, <laughs> I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and then my dad and I both baptized my mom. And so just, just really, really cool. And, and I just wanted to take a moment to share that and to say thank you um, for your faithfulness and love. And, and also... Um, just to be a reminder and a testimony of God's goodness, even though it can take a while. That it was 17 years of praying for my parents, and, and as the Holy Spirit prompted, sharing things here, sharing things there, trusting that all I can do is plant and water, and He's the one that makes it grow. And so the other reason I wanted to share this is I know that each of us may have family and friends or neighbors or coworkers, people that we care about in our lives that we want to see come to recognize Jesus. And we desperately want it. Just keep praying. Be faithful as the Holy Spirit prompts you. And trust that he's going to work in their lives. 
and, and just do what he's calling you to do. And, and sometimes it takes a lot longer than we want it to. Um, but I think whether it happens in two seconds or 17 years, our joy is equal when the people that we care about come to Christ. Uh, and so, Lord, we, we come before you. And, and I thank you for the testimony with my parents. Um, but, Lord, we, we just lift up all of those in our lives, brothers and sisters, mothers, fathers, children, friends, uh, people that have hurt us or even betrayed us, people that we care about that we do not want to see in hell or separated from you. And, and Lord, we pray and we ask that you would work in their lives, that you would open their eyes to the beauty of Jesus Christ, your great love for them, uh, the rescue that awaits, the hope that is there, the eternal life uh, that can never be taken from them uh, as they submit to you. Lord, we pray that you help us to trust your work, that we would not put an undue burden upon ourselves, um, that we would not uh, beat ourselves up for not doing enough um, to make it happen, because, Lord, we can't make it happen. Lord, we just ask that your Spirit would lead us and that we would have boldness in the time that there is to have boldness, gentleness when it's time to be gentle, but just a trust in your work and to step out when you call us to step out. Lord, we ask that you would help us to move. We pray for more salvations in family. We pray for more testimonies like this of your goodness in using this church to reach people for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I feel like that's almost could be the message for today. So, <laughs> um, We're continuing on in our series in the book of John. Uh, last week, Christian uh, started into, or part of chapter 18, uh, taking a look at Peter and his betrayal of Christ, but then that restoration that happened, and, and how that restoration happened, and what that means, and, and do we have that same sense? And, and so uh, I thought it was a really good way to kind of look at that forgiveness of Peter. Because a lot of times we'll look at that, and we'll, we'll just look at it in the sense of, well, I, I can make some choices that betray Jesus at times, but yet there's forgiveness because Peter was forgiven. Uh, but I think that what he pointed out and, and looked towards in that sense of what did the forgiveness and restoration actually look like? How did Peter see himself? How did others see Peter? Like it was a full restoration through the blood of Christ that then moved on in unity together. Uh, and so thank you for, for sharing that last week. We're going to continue on here uh, in uh, verse 28. Uh, and so this is after Jesus has been meeting with the religious leaders, uh, and now they're taking him to the Romans. Uh, and so we pick this up in verse 28. Then they laid Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, and they did not enter the headquarters themselves, otherwise they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. Uh, and so again, this is just a, a side note here, is talking about the, the extreme religiosity that they had at that time uh, of being pure or unpure to the point where they thought that if they walked into um, a Roman headquarters, that they would be so defiled that they'd, go, they'd have to go and have a sacrifice, that they'd have to go and purify themselves, and they wouldn't be able to partake of a religious Jewish ceremony in the Passover. This was their mindset, right? Did Jesus have this mindset when he was eating with 
tax collectors and sinners and adulteresses and, and women who washed his feet. Like, he had none of this in his interaction with people. Just to juxtapose the difference between uh, the religious fervor and um, hypocritical regulations that they had in comparison to Jesus' love in the way that he interacted with people. They wouldn't even walk into these headquarters. Otherwise, they would be defiled. Um, so they, they send Jesus in. Pilate comes out to them uh, in order to acquiesce to their religious stringent rules. Uh, it comes out to them and says, what charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Like, this is just the beginning of a really weird interaction here within Scripture. Like, the Pharisees have been plotting to kill Jesus for chapters now. For, for weeks and possibly months at this time, as he's gone around and healed people, raised people from the dead, and have been pointing out their hypocrisy. They've been plotting to have him killed. And, and so now, finally, they arrest him, and they kind of have this mock trial within their Sanhedrin, their religious court of law, and then they bring him to the Romans. And the Roman governor comes out and is like, okay, uh, we can deal with this. Uh, what did he do? Well, he's a criminal. Well, but what did he do? <laughs> like, like, what charges? Well, we wouldn't have brought him to you, but he's a criminal. It's kind of the way that this is starting out. Like, there isn't really any logic to this. They're just saying, we want him dead. We're naming him a criminal, and we're trusting you, or we want you to trust us when we say that, that he's a criminal. Uh, so Pilate's response here was, well, you take him and judge him according to your law. They replied by saying, it's not legal for us to put anyone to death. And they said this, that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? And so it's just weird interaction that's kind of happening where the religious leaders are coming and saying, well, according to our laws, he should die, but according to Roman laws, we can't kill him, so we want you to kill him, but we're not going to tell you what he actually did because it's really our business and not your business, but we want his blood on your hands because we don't want his blood on our hands. Is essentially what's happening here. And so Pilate now is saying, well, I need to figure this out. Because he's the Roman governor, right? He's a Roman governor over uh, this particular area of Israel, which had tried to revolt in previous times, tried to overthrow Roman rule. It's one of the reasons he's there is to kind of keep the people uh, both happy but under Roman thumb. And so now he finds himself in this place where, all right, they're upset. They want to kill Jesus. But at the same time, I know Jesus probably has some followers, and so if I kill him, somebody's not going to be happy. And at the same time, what do I care what these religious rulers think? And, and yet, what does Rome want? What's for the benefit of Rome? And so he's got all these things kind of going on in his head. So this is why he brings Jesus and asks him, are you the king of the Jews? In other words, what, Ro what um, Pilate's really looking for is a Roman reason to kill Jesus. Because if Jesus in that moment says, yes, 
I am the king of the Jews, it is a public declaration of him trying to overthrow, overthrow Rome. In which case, then, Pilate has Roman legal right then to kill Jesus. And so he's trying to figure this out through this legal back and forth between the Jews and the Romans. And Pilate's trying to find out what the legal implications are. Um, but I love Jesus' response in this because he understands really what's happening in all of that. We've seen how many times in Scripture it says he knows what was in the hearts of men. And so he knows what the Pharisees' motivations are. He knows that they're blinded, that they think that they're doing what God wants uh, them, him to do. Uh, but he also knows what Pilate's wrestling through. And, and so when Pilate asks him, are you king of the Jews? Uh, again, Jesus answers without directly answering. He says, are you asking this because you want to know? Or are you asking this because others told you that I'm the king of the Jews? He turns that question back. In other words, Pilate, wrestle through why you're asking me this. Is it of your own volition, or are you being manipulated uh, by other people? And so Pilate's response we find here in verse 35. He says, I'm not a Jew, am I? In other words, how am I supposed to know? Uh, your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Verse 36, Jesus replies, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate responds, you're a king then? Jesus, I love Jesus' response. Uh, you say that I'm a king. I, again, it's that whole thing where Jesus is replying. He's like, I have a kingdom, but it's not of this world. Pilate's response is in the physical again. So you're a king. You have a kingdom. Jesus' replies have been all spiritual. And Pilate's responses are not grasping the spiritual implications of what Jesus is saying. We've pointed this out in the book of John over and over and over again. From him speaking with Nicodemus and the need for being born again. To, to meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. Where she's saying, I want the water so I'm never thirsty again. And she's thinking physical and Jesus is thinking spiritual. He's doing the same thing here with Pilate, where Jesus, as he brings truth, he brings it in a way that points to the eternal. He points to something that is spiritual. And with a purely earthly mind, a purely earthly focus, it does not make sense to the people that are trying to grasp it. And so that's why he says, well, you say uh, that I'm a king. His response was, I was born for this. I've come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So again, this is why he speaks in this way. He's speaking in these spiritual truths that for those who are looking for truth, those that are looking to submit to God, those that are desiring to live within the reality that, that God has created, instead of this false matrix that man has created, they're going to hear these words as truth and respond to these words as truth in following Christ. But for those who, who do not grasp it, they don't understand. And they're expecting things completely different. In fact, when we look at the Jews and, and what the Jews were expecting from the Messiah was for somebody to come and literally overthrow Rome. 
to be able to establish a government that could rally the troops, kick them out of Israel, establish their own country again, and return it to the glory of Solomon. Like, that was what their expectation for Messiah was. And Jesus coming with the express intent to die sacrificially for sins was so far out of their minds, they couldn't comprehend half of what he was talking about. He's sitting here and saying, my kingdom is not of the world. In verse 36, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. You remember what happened when Jesus was about to be arrested? And Peter, pulling out his sword and starting to fight? Even though Peter had some grasp of the truth, even in his declaration to Jesus that you are the Messiah... He still had this half step in, in the truth and the spiritual reality of, of Christ as the Messiah, but also half a foot in what his expectations of what that would look like here and now in this world. And with his foot in between both of these things, he's still of this motivation to protect what he thought physically would happen, that Jesus would overthrow the Romans. And so because of that, he was willing to fight in order to protect Jesus from being arrested. But what did Jesus do? He stopped him. Not only did he stop him, he then goes to the man who had his ear cut off and heals the man and then willingly goes along with those who arrested him because of everything that had been foretold to happen as a willing sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And so what Jesus here is saying is like, my kingdom is not of this world. I, the way my imagination works is, is odd sometimes. Uh, just to kind of, you know, what, you kind of think of like the, the typical politics, right? And, and the campaigning that happens. We've seen some of that with, uh, you know, the primary that we just had this last week. And now we're heading into midterms. In two years, we're going to have the whole circus of presidential elections and, and everything else again. And, and we look and, and see, like, how the politicians now um, campaign to get their positions, right? And, and they go and they, they shake hands and they kiss babies and, and, and like, do all of these things. And, and I just kind of imagine Jesus in a robe, um, but like instead of like kissing babies, he's healing them and like raising people from the dead. And, and, and if he had chosen to, he certainly could have rallied all of Israel to get rid of the Romans. If he had chosen to, he could have rallied the Romans to get rid of the Romans, right? Like, like he could be talking to Pilate here in this moment, and Pilate's like, um, are you king of the Jews? Yes. Uh, I'm going to kill you. No, you're not. Well, what do you mean, no, you're not? Um, here, let's go buy some water. And, and then he just like walks on water. And then they're like, ah, oh, it's magic. Let's kill him. And, and he just like speaks and they all fall to the ground like it happened when we looked at two weeks ago. And they're like, I'm the one you're looking for. And they all fall down. Like, like everything Jesus could have done in that moment could have literally had everybody there saying, yep. He's the king. Let's get rid of Caesar. Put Jesus in Rome. And, but that's not what he was there for. Because even if that had been accomplished, uh, he could have had the most expansive and controlling kingdom this world had ever seen. But we'd all still be lost. We'd all still be in darkness. We'd all still be in sin. 
And it was only by him, even though he's king, coming to willingly sacrifice his life, to, to pour out his blood for his body to be hung on a tree, as we remembered in communion. It was only through that price that we could not imagine being paid for us, being willingly paid to redeem us from sin and death. It was only through that that reconciliation between God and man could be fully realized and only through that the kingdom that is beyond our wildest dreams, expectations, or comprehension could be birthed. Where man and God live together. Where, where in Revelations 21 it talks about Jerusalem coming down and God's place being with man. Like, that only happens by Jesus heading to the cross. Not by him establishing some earthly kingdom in this. But make this no mistake, he's absolutely a king. It was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, where it says, A child will be born to us, and the son will be given. The government will be on his shoulders. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast. His prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom. And he will establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. This would have been one of the verses that the, the Jewish people at that time were, were standing on and hoping to take place. They just happened to take this verse and say, oh, he's getting rid of the Romans. We're going to have an earthly kingdom. Not realizing that this whole aspect of prosperity not ending that there will be justice and righteousness forever on the earth. All of the promises of the stability and peace of this kingdom completely hinge upon the fact that sin is eradicated and death is gone. The, the impetus for rebellion against God being broken by Jesus' blood on the cross. This kingdom cannot exist unless that happens. And so that's why Jesus is here in order to do this. The king that spoke all things into existence, that holds all things together, that works all things for good of those who love him, willingly sacrificed himself and is coming back. That's why he said, I was born for this and I've come into the world for this to testify to the truth. To the truth that God's promise and God's kingdom is not of this world. And is not anything that we have any influence over. Or we can control in any way at all. It's simply his creation. That he's inviting us to be participants in. To join him in and to, to be used by him to, to help bring about and bring out this truth into this world. Again, some people will hear this and the spiritual reality of this. And, and we embrace it saying... Praise be to God, we trust him, we love him, and we submit to him. Others reject it. The way Pilate did in this next verse, in verse 38. Again, Jesus says, I'm born for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Here's Pilate's response. What is truth? This is what Pilate said 2,000 years ago. Jesus is saying, I'm here to show you the truth of reality and existence and the hope of mankind. And Pilate's response is, what is truth? 2,000 years ago. And yet, what is one of the greatest obstacles that we face in proclaiming the gospel to the people around us? This same statement. 
what is truth? What is God? Maybe it's this God. Maybe it's that God. Maybe it's my own truth. Maybe I'm a man. Maybe I'm a woman. Maybe I'm a wolf. Whatever. Like, like everything has become so fluid. And the reality and the reason for this is because we desire to be our own gods and create our own realities and our own universes and have control over our own lives. And, and we want to be able to manipulate it in any way that we can imagine. And we want others to accept what we have manipulated to be our own reality. We, as a, as a society, have created an atmosphere that allows people to create any truth that they want. And I think it's only going to get worse from here. Especially as we start to look at more and more things being virtual. I, I remember um, seeing an advertisement for a television show. Um, it's a, a singing competition. And, and, you know, you have certain things like uh, the voice, right? And so you have the, the singer sitting on the stage and, and the judges' backs are to the person and they start singing so that they can hear the voice without necessarily making judgments about how the person looks. Uh, and if they like it, they push the button, the chair swings around and, and cool, right? Then it moved on to, uh, what was it, the, the masked singer? And, and so then you have somebody like in a costume um, who's sitting there and, and dancing and singing, but yet you don't know who it is. And I saw this advertisement for, for a new show where uh, instead of a costume, the, the person who's going to sing actually stays backstage. And, and they're backstage the whole time. And then what they do is create a hologram and a virtual reality that they put up onto the screen of whatever the person wants. And, and so they can sit and they can move and they can dance. And as they're doing that, this character on the screen, whatever they want it to be, whether it is a pink mongoose or a flamingo or a woman or a man or whatever, can be on the screen and um, be what the judges see for the performance. And, and part of the advertisement was this person um, who is talking and saying, I can finally be my true self now. I can finally sing and show my true self to the world. But their idea of their true self was not them. It was this digital projection that they created of what they'd like other people to see them as. This is where our society is gone, and, and yet Pilate had the seeds of this 2,000 years ago when Jesus is saying, my kingdom's not of this world. I'm born for this purpose, to share the truth. And instead of Pilate in that moment saying, what is the truth? Humbling himself and, and saying, I want to know what the truth is. Would you explain this to me? His response instead is, what is truth? Then he doesn't even give Jesus an opportunity to respond to that. He just says, what is truth? After he said this, in verse 38, he went out to the Jews again and said, I find no grounds for charging him. In other words, he, he really, in that moment, wasn't even willing to hear Jesus say anything else. But rather, settled within himself, who can know the truth? Let's just move on with this. Let me deal with this politically as I know how to deal with this. There's no grounds for charging him. So then he says, verse 39, you have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? 
They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a revolutionary. In other words, Barabbas was somebody who literally and physically did fight against Rome. Possibly killing Roman soldiers. And this is who they asked to be freed. A revolutionary. Instead of the one who's been doing these miracles in front of them. There was no legal reason for this execution according to Rome, but Pilate bows to social and political pressure. These choices are based on society and personal priorities. Most likely not wanting to anger the religious leaders that he was in charge of making sure that they didn't revolt, he's acquiescing to their request in this situation. And I think we face similar challenges in this. This is the lesson that we can learn from this passage. is not just what was happening in the political realm at that time, uh, but also what happens within our own lives. There is an aspect of truth. There's not an aspect of truth. There is truth in Jesus Christ as God, as Savior, as Lord, and that our sins are only forgiven through Him. The only path to reconciliation with God is through him is through the repentance of our sins and his gracious and mercy and forgiveness. Not that we can earn it in any way, but he freely gives it to us as we humble ourselves and submit to him. There is that truth. There is the truth that he spoke all things into existence, that, that he is the one that created this world and how everything works. The way that the light is streaming through this glass works because he made it to work. We have the definition of physics. Physics isn't what causes this to work. Physics is our explanation of how what God did works. It's the way our minds can understand it. But he spoke all these things into existence. And in that, he gives us his word. And he says, to follow me, live this way. Don't live this way. He has established it, and he has the right to establish it. He is the king. He has a kingdom that's not of this world. We're all subjects of that kingdom, whether we are choosing as Christians and brothers and sisters to, to submit to his rule and follow him and, and to work alongside him as his co-laborers, or if it's our family members and neighbors who are continuing to choose to rebel. We're all part of that kingdom. Some of us are just submitting to the king and others are still in rebellion. That is the truth of reality. Now how do we choose to live out of that is what we have to wrestle with now. This is the existence. Do we then submit to that truth and live according to that truth? Uh, or... <clears throat> Um, do we allow the, the pressures uh, and temptation uh, of the world around us and social constructs to, to cause us to, to shift a little bit here and to shift a little bit there in order to not make waves with the people around us? I think it's something that we, we have to wrestle with and consider because the truth is that in salvation in Christ, we are no longer of this world. We're not strangers or aliens, but, but rather we're citizens of heaven. And then he gives us directions on, on how to live within this world, and we have to choose whether or not uh, we submit to those things. Whether he really is our king and our lord 
over all things, or if it's just something that we dabble in, that, that is a casual thing for us. We have to consider that. Because he is a king, and nothing in this world holds power over him. Love these verses in, in Daniel chapter 2. Uh, he's talking, may the God, may the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. In other words, he, he's actually the king of kings is where this term comes from. And those that are in control uh, are there because he directs it. Everything is, is under him. First Peter chapter 2 says this, Submit to every human authority because of God, whether to the emperor, um, or the, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. Now just a, a little moment of context in this. The emperor at this time was either Nero or just about to be Nero. The one who um, blamed Rome's fire on Christians and set about brutal persecution against Christians. The Holy Spirit was not blindsided by Nero being put into place. And yet Peter is saying, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to Nero as the supreme authority or to the governors that he has. Submit as free people, not using freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Romans 13, let everyone submit to the governing authority, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. And so again, his aspect of control is absolute. He is king, and he works out all things for the good of those who love him. We are his subjects. We are his brothers and sisters. We are his redeemed children that he has chosen to, to work with us to be about his business as we wait for his return. But the other lesson I think that we can learn from this um, is that his kingdom is not of this world. And as he walked this earth 2,000 years ago, both his followers the religious leaders and the Romans all tried to pull Jesus into interacting with them in an earthly political sense. Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world. Are you a king then? Well, you say I'm a king. It's for this reason that I'm born, but I'm born to bring truth. I think we need to take that example. Because I, as we live here on this earth, I think we can be tempted, again, to both be swayed by social aspects around us that, that might try to pull us from holding to the truth that God has declared as king. But I think also there's the potential for us to fall into the same trap uh, that Peter did momentarily while he was still thinking that Jesus was going to have an earthly kingdom. And Peter starts fighting for that earthly kingdom and protecting Jesus. Jesus does not need our protection. He just needs us to point to him. He needs us to point to that truth. But also in that, we don't want to fall into the temptation of we need to be about the business of politics. That we need to fight 
according to politics, that we need to delve into politics, that we need to fight each other over politics, that whoever wins this next election determines the course of all humanity. No, it does not. But yet we act that way sometimes. We act as though our faith is going to be crushed if the person that we want in the president's seat isn't in the presidency. We act as though our society will be destroyed if we don't have the godly person as president or as governor or as whoever. We, we act this way and it is simply not true. Because scripture is pointed to Nero and said submit to him because of God. The same thing to us. We participate, we might vote as God leads us to vote. According to the truth of his reality, we, we follow his principles. But as we vote, we do not then submit our joy, our happiness, our hope upon the outcome of any election here in this country or in the world. If we do, we're trusting in a construct that is submitted to the kingship of Jesus. Jesus was above that. And he's saying we are to be above that as well. That our hope, our happiness, our security is not dependent upon any human government, local, national, or global. It's not true. We're no longer citizens of this world, but citizens of heaven, of the king who spoke all things into existence, who says that the truth of reality, his kingdom is not of this world. We are not of this world. He said it time and time again through the book of John. So why do we hinge so much of our hopes on what happens in this world? Whether it's political or not. This is what I love about this passage. Everybody's trying to draw him more and deeper into things of the world and to play according to the world's rules. And, and Jesus' response is not to try and correct it at every turn, but simply point the truth. And simply to be who he is. This is what he calls us to do as well. We are no longer of this world. Our hope is not dependent upon this world. We are not called to live according to the rules of this world, but to live according to the truth that we find according to Scripture, and in that to do it in freedom and joy and peace in all circumstances, regardless of what happens. We wait for the return of the King, and we submit to His direction. We want to be about His business in making disciples for the kingdom, in proclaiming the truth, in living our lives, all aspects of our lives, unto him. Anything else is a trust in the world. Because our king has been, is, and always will be. Our king is, is described in Revelations chapter 19. I saw heaven opened. There was a white horse. Its rider was called Faithful and True. This is Jesus. And he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. 
He had his name written that no one knows except himself. He, wrote, he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The heavens that were in the army that were in heavens followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the truth. This is our Jesus. This is the one who is calling out of darkness, us out of darkness. And he is the one that paid the price for us to be freed from darkness. He is coming back. And for those who are of his kingdom, those of us who belong to Christ, who have been redeemed by his blood, we eagerly await his return and will praise him at his return. For those who are in his kingdom but still in rebellion, this will be a day of great fear. And so we pray, and we're about our Father's business by proclaiming the truth, by planting and watering and trusting that He will make it grow, and knowing that He will not allow His word to return void, and that as we pray for our family members, though it be 17 years in the testimony of my parents, we pray and we're faithful to do what He's called us to do, because this is what the truth is based upon. Not upon anything this world says. And so we trust him in all of these things. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Um, I pray that you make us hungry for your word. That we want to know the truth more. That the more that we can anchor ourselves into who you are, what you've done, and how you have established reality to be, the more that we will walk in our true identity and what you've created us to be, the more that we will no longer be tossed around by the world or the changing values of society, the more we will find joy and peace in all circumstances, because everything will be based on what is true, what is right, and that is you are king, and that you have rescued us. And Lord, we thank you for this and we praise you for this. And Lord, we pray for those who are still lost. We desire for their eyes to be opened. We trust you to do the work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.